I'm Lorna, and this month, I'm excited to introduce you to Kat Ross, CEO of Baby Basics. Kat shares a bit about what it's like to run a nonprofit that has outposts across the country. She talks about the important role that businesses, influencers, and others can play in supporting the vital role of the third sector. And she touches on the biggest challenges facing our local communities today. Let's hear it. A big welcome to Kat. Thanks so much for being our first ever in-person podcast guest. It's very exciting. I'm really looking forward to digging into a conversation about leading nonprofits and the challenges on the ground right now and the impact that can be had through business partnerships. We're going to tackle some of the much harder questions, but to start with, let's have a chat about what you do and why you do it. So let's jump in. Will you tell us a bit about Baby Basics? Yeah, so um, Baby Basics started almost 14 years ago um, as a project of a church in Sheffield. Um, I took over from the founder four years ago. And since then, we have grown massively. We have grown our network of baby banks. So we're the largest network of baby banks now in the UK. We have 57, um, just opened one in the Channel Islands, which is very exciting. Um, and um, we're supporting over 45,000 children and their families um, last year with um, essentials, basically. So if you think of a food bank, we're the same thing like a food bank, but for baby and toddler essentials. So push chairs, cots, prams, Moses baskets, toys, clothes nappies and we provide all of those Um, and it's an amazing organization that I get to lead. And what does leading the organization include? What's your role there? Each of our centres runs like a franchise, so they're responsible for their own kind of volunteer teams. Some of them are solely volunteer-led, some have grown enough to have paid staff. We're a very, very small team, Um, so that means that a lot falls on my shoulders, which I'm fine with to some extent as we build capacity Uh, but it's always really interesting you kind of have a phone call from somebody like especially some of the corporate brands that we work with and they're like oh yeah um can you can you link me up with your press person can you link me up with your marketing person I'm like yeah that's me and that one's me too and who does your funding oh that one's me um so but as we grow the team and we're able to kind of take some of that weight off off my shoulders um which is brilliant um but yeah, capacity is probably one of the biggest challenges we face. I'm sure there are many challenges to be faced on top of that. On the positive side of things, though, what are you most proud of in the work that you're doing at the moment at Baby Basics? I am incredibly proud of all our Baby Basics centres, especially over the last three years. So it very much feels like we've gone from crisis to crisis to crisis and not one of the crises has quite ended. Um, So obviously the COVID pandemic being the first crisis um, and that saw massive challenges for us um, as baby basics. One with the amount of demand. I mean, our inaugural centre in Sheffield had a 400% increase in demand in the first lockdown. We went from opening two days a week to opening four days a week to having a team of volunteers of about 15 to over 45. And... Also having volunteers who couldn't come in. So some of our really long-term volunteers who were 
lovely retired folks who gave up their time. They were too vulnerable or classed as vulnerable, so we couldn't allow them to come into the building. So, so that was the first kind of crisis. And as we came through that and started to welcome people back into the building, um, we opened a national warehouse, which is amazing. Um, and um, just as we opened the wa- national warehouse, um, the Afghan evacuation happened from Kabul. So we repurposed our warehouse and created a distribution centre for Afghan families, um, support for Afghan families from there. And then I've gone on to kind of do Homes for Ukraine support with the Ukrainian families coming on. So all three of those crises are still running concurrently to some respect because our demand hasn't dropped um, since COVID. If anything, it's increased. And now we're facing our fourth crisis with the cost of living. And we're already really, really seeing the impact of that in the demand for our services um, and our centres are getting so, so busy. You mentioned up top some of the huge impact that you have at Baby Basics and you've gone through quite a number of challenges there. What is it that makes the job easier, though? What is it that supports creation of your huge impact? I think there's two things really one is the heart of the organization so we talk at baby basics that we are one family and everybody nobody works in the third sector and um so the fact everybody is so committed and gives their absolute all that's helped us through and secondly for me as ceo having a board of trustees behind me that 100 percent support me who give me autonomy to make the decisions Um, that trust that I'm going to keep with the vision and mission statement of the organisation and are not scared to challenge me if they think that I'm not. And one really classic moment of that was when we started doing the um, Afghan support in a coalition of charities that we we became Afghan Welcome. And um, I realised kind of week two of starting that delivery and we'd put out an Amazon wish list and we had 10,000 donations and in a week... I hadn't actually told my chair of my board we were doing it. (laughs) And I was like, whoops. But he was like, no, I trust you. I saw what was happening on social media. If there was a problem, I'd have been in touch. So knowing that they've got my back is really, really important. I'm going to reel it back for a second. You said that nobody really works in the third sector. You're driven by passion. But what is it that got you working in the third sector? Because... The reality is that you do, and it'd be interesting to know a bit about the motivation, what really drives you, how you got to where you are today. So I feel really, really, really privileged that I grew up in a family where social justice was a real centre point of our family. So um, when I went to university and studied um, playwork and, and child psychology, I knew that that was something that I wanted to take into the third sector with me. So in fact, I've never worked not for a nonprofit. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just been my life. And in fact, my sister is exactly the same. So she works in nonprofit sector as well. And um, yeah, it's just always been at the heart of heart of what we do. And yes, I'm paid for what I do. But I always say as a CEO of a national charity, um, We're not like Oxfam, we're not like um, Red Cross, um, we're not paid incredibly well. Um, And actually that's not what's important to me. What's important to me is seeing the impact of the difference that we make on other people's lives. And that to me is more precious than any financial offering I can be given. So Kat, impact is what gets you out of bed and feels satisfied when you get home at the end of the day. 100%. Brilliant. 
Now, I want to get into some of the trickier, harder things that are happening on the ground at the moment and some of the challenges faced by all of us working in positive impact and developing partnerships to further that impact. So to kick us off, let's dive into what it is today on our doorsteps that is the biggest challenge for our neighbours and for the average person in our communities. I think the biggest challenge for anybody right across the board at the moment is the cost of living crisis and how to financially manage whatever amount of money you've got coming into your household um, and providing um, for your family. And I think um, the biggest impact when any crisis happened is always on the most vulnerable and those who are already struggling. Um, So I think for us at Baby Basics, that's the biggest thing that we're seeing. I think on top of that for third sector organisations, we've got the added thing is that we're also dealing with the cost of living crisis. Mm -hmm. So our core costs of running our buildings, of heating, of buying tea and coffee for our volunteers, all those costs are increasing and we have to find the money to keep that going. Um, So it it comes from both sides. I think the other thing that we're seeing, certainly in Baby Basics, is um, because of the cost of living crisis, donations are dropping. So 90% of the items that we give out to families are donated items from the public. So that is either second-hand items that they no longer use, that they donate to us, or it's items that they buy for us, such as like nappies and toiletries. And what we're seeing is there's less coming in, not necessarily on the clothing side, because clothes don't seem to be too much of an issue, um, but the larger ticket items, so cots. So as whereas previously a family would have gone, yeah, I'll donate you our cot that we don't use anymore. They're having to make that judgment go, well, actually, I could sell our cot on Facebook Marketplace and get 50 quid for it, and that'll pay my gas bill next month. Mm. So those who want to give aren't always able to give in the same way that they could before. So that's another knock-on effect for us. I think the third thing that we find is the the problems that we have in our statutory sector, especially in um, workforce with the NHS um, and social care. And they are so stretched. So for them to be able to collect things from us in a timely way out to families um, causes a bottleneck. If they can't pick up, we can't take the next donation in because we don't have the space. Um, so so you've got to kind of overcome those bottlenecks at the same time. So it's kind of a bit of a triple whammy um, on how we work it through. But for now, it's going okay. It's a real bind, isn't it? When the demand for services rises, the resources, whether it's funding or volunteers, drops. Support from individuals, from foundations, from businesses, from government, it all reduces. And we've been really seeing that lately. We're hearing non-profits say, as you just have, that it's hard to even literally keep the lights on, let alone actually meet the critical demand on the ground among the people who are feeling the cost of living crisis the hardest. So it's a hugely challenging time to be running a non-profit. One of the conversations that we have at Action Funder is how do we get businesses excited about funding core costs? It's really hard to get people putting money forward to keep the lights on and for rent and for the fees for the staff. Do you have any tactics that you use to try and make those kinds of funding needs look sexy and exciting to potential funders? 
it's a real shame to have to fetishize the running of a nonprofit in order to get support for your services. But do you have any recommendations for how to communicate the critical need for running costs in a way that's effective and brings in the support that you need? I think it's a really, really tricky one. And I think, first of all, I think the message out to funders, especially foundations, is please let us put core costs in there and please let us put salaries in there and understand that when we're applying for funding, yes, it's about the impact that the organisation has, but the impact doesn't happen without those core costs. Um, And especially at the moment, lights on, salaries need to be paid, cleaning of the building needs to be done all of those things need to happen and we really need funders to to understand that um that there should just be a section in every funding bid for core costs i think the other thing from a funder's perspective to consider is not always funding new projects because actually we've run for almost 14 years and our delivery hasn't massively changed the project hasn't changed but there's so many funding opportunities that I'm not able to apply for because I'm not creating anything new and it's actually why do we constantly have to create new when something is working let's fund it to keep going so that would be my second play I think from a th- from a, a third sector point of view on what I put into applications for core costs I always try and factor it in both core costs and building of reserves which is the second really vital thing that that we have to do um it's kind of trying to show that if those core costs aren't covered what happens so if the core costs aren't covered if we don't have paid members of staff that take on the responsibility of opening our buildings and being there our insurance increases if we don't have the lights on if we don't have a warm building for our volunteers to be in they stop coming if we don't have a dry building that's heated well and doesn't get damp products get mouldy and then they can't be used. So it's highlighting what happens if those things aren't paid for. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that I try to put in all of our funding bids, um, not just on core costs, but on anything. I always kind of say, yes, this is our impact when we have funding, when we're able to deliver the project. And this is the impact on families if we're not there. And trying to show that negative that, should, that um, highlights the importance of, of what we do. And I think it, I use the same methodology for kind of trying to get across our core cost needs. And it's sometimes successful and sometimes not. And I think in the present climate, demand for funding is so high and there is less and less out there to get. And when you go to the private sector looking for support, whether that's with funding or goods or volunteers, Are you ever asked about the benefits of funding you as a smaller grassroots charity rather than a bigger charity? I mean, you mentioned a minute ago that some of the bigger charities have staff on competitive salaries and big financial reserves and sometimes global levels of impact. They also have brands that corporates can stick onto their websites to give a really very quick indication of the good work that they're supporting. So how do you, I suppose, compete, for want of a better word, for a business's support when you're up against some of those big name charities? Yeah, I think in some respects, I don't try to compete. We're never going to be Oxfam. We're never going to be Red Cross. Um, We aren't going to be kind of the big, we're not going to be Macmillan. Um, So kind of the big cancer charities. Um, 
And that's okay. I've certainly grown in confidence in, in reaching out to more corporates. And I think I'm just really, really honest with them. And if they are a corporate organisation that really wants to help a small third sector organisation like us, they'll do it. If they're an organisation that wants the kudos of supporting Oxfam, they're going to go to Oxfam and you're never going to change their minds on that. So I think it's about finding the right corporates that fit your work. I think what I've learned as well is um, working with corporates is hard work. It takes a lot of investment from the charity, um, but that investment really pays off. Um, early on when we started working with people like Silver Cross and Mamas and Papas, um, they, one of the things they said to us was that the communication we give back to them about the impact is brilliant. That it's not that we just send them an impact report kind of once a year or we have a catch up. Like I have monthly meetings with some of them to kind of look at what we're doing and what our needs are and how can they do more. Um, and it's rare that I ever go to them with an ask. It's often that they're coming to me going, we want to develop this relationship further. What more could we do to help? And that's amazing. The only time I've ever gone to them with an ask um, was when we started doing the Afghan work and now the Ukraine work. And I literally wrote to every corporate that's ever donated to us saying, what can you do? And my goodness, they stepped up, um, which was just phenomenal. Um, so I know when we do ask and there's a real need out there, um, they will do what they can to meet it. Um, but often it's just just having their their support, them shouting about us. Um, even if they only donate to us once a year, the fact that they do that is just amazing. Um, so so yeah, we've been really 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 lucky. Um, and I try and offer as much as I can back to them. I'm always open to doing media stuff, writing articles, visiting their staff teams to encourage them about what they're doing so they hear firsthand from the charity about the difference it's making. Um, we've done articles, we've done um, branding stuffs. Um, some of the corporates have created branding things specifically for our partnership, which has been amazing. Um, but yeah, just letting them have use of our logo and access to me um, when they need it has been really beneficial. I'm going to call you out on something there because it's quite a thing to never say no. There must be some occasions where you have to say there's no room in the warehouse or we don't have time for that at the moment. Um, come back to me in six months, say, or actually we're trying to do a much bigger fundraise right now. Can you give more? Does that happen on occasion and what's the response like? Absolutely. So I think it happens in all of those things that you've just mentioned. And sometimes they offer us things that actually just aren't suitable for our work. Mm -hmm. So I think, again, it's having that relationship. Once you've built that relationship and you've got a relationship of trust between the two organisations, you're then in position to go, that's great that you want to give us this, but actually, can I have those five things and not those 15? Um, so we did some work with a, with a corporate a few months ago who makes um, the little snuggle nest things that safer sleep regulations say are not a good idea. So we would never give them out because we're giving them out to health professionals, we're promoting safer sleep. So I was able to say, can, can I not have those, but I will have those breast pumps, thank you very much. And they were fine with that. Once you explain the reason why, they're great. That's down to relationship. Relationship is absolutely the key. 
tricky question here. Are there any businesses that you wouldn't form a relationship with? Are there any kinds of companies that you'd walk away from on the grounds of having competing values or other qualms? Yeah, so we've always been very conscious. Um, obviously, in the, the baby brand world, there's not many things that would that we wouldn't take. Um, but we, we do carry out due diligence in terms of where their money come from, where they invest into, how kind of eco-friendly they are, um, because that's another kind of sideline passion of ours is, is, is trying to be as eco as we can. Um, so, so we do those kind of things. We haven't come across anyone that we wouldn't accept from from a baby brand perspective um, at the moment. Um, we have had offers of finance from some organisations that we think actually there's nothing wrong with the organisation, but it's not really a good fit for us. Um, so I'm very conscious kind of of um, pub chains, alcohol producers, um, anything that comes kind of through debt or gambling or those kind of things just doesn't feel a comfortable fit when we're supporting vulnerable families. Mm-hmm. Um, in other organisations I've worked with, I worked with an organisation um, that um, supported people living with a visual disfigurement. And um, so they would never accept anything that came from a firework company, for example, because that just doesn't fit with the demographic of people that they support. We did have one baby white company um, want, get, want to get involved with the Princess of Wales um, and they tried to make it an exclusive. So they would donate as baby wipes, but we had to say that we would only ever put their brand of baby wipes into our in our packages going out and I was like well that's impossible and if that's why you're doing it then you're not given for the right reason and actually you've got to do it from the right perspective and I'm happy to say no to that because somebody else will step forward and they have um but yeah so we don't do anything exclusively okay now You've mentioned a couple of times this partnership with the Princess of Wales. I want to hear a bit more about that. I'm intrigued. Will you share a bit about how that came about and the kind of impact it's had on Baby Basics? Yeah, so that that was just one of those amazing things that happened. Um, so early on in the first lockdown, um, the then Duchess of Cambridge, as she was then, mm-hmm. um, visited our West Norfolk branch of Baby Basics, which is based on the Sandringham estate. And the reason that she visited was because um, her the church where, where the Baby Basics centres run from um, had a playgroup that was attended by George and Charlotte. So she'd heard of Baby Basics. So when the lockdown happened, she got in touch with the West Norfolk centre and said, can I come in and find out? So they did a very, very private event um just her with a couple of volunteers and she packed a basket and heard more about it met a few um health visitors midwives um to hear about the need and obviously she's really really um involved with the early years and wants to kind of develop work in the early years and from that meeting um she then got in touch to say she wanted to see what she could do more so contacted us and I have to say when that email came through thinking from Kensington Palace I did almost fall off my chair (laughs) (laughs) because it's not the average email that you get through Um, and she said she wanted to set up um, a project to try and get support for baby banks so we actually set up um, the initiative was called supporting the baby bank initiative baby banks initiative and it was baby basics as the lead organization with little village which is a baby bank based in london and aber necessities which is a baby bank based up in aberdeen um and she brought together 19 different brands to donate product to us um so all that product came into baby basics and then we distributed it between the three organizations based on the referral rates for three 
um, to kind of make it the fairest split. And that um, then kind of culminated in a visit um, from the then, um, then Duchess of Cambridge, now Princess of Wales, um, to our centre in August 2020 to Sheffield, um, where she kind of um, helped unpack some of the donations, chatted to some, chatted to a family that we'd supported um, in Sheffield, um, and then chatted on Zoom to a family um, up in Aberdeen and a, and a family in London, the little village in Aber Necessities had, had supported. Um, and... Then we've kind of continued to work with her with the Royal Foundation Centre for um, Early Childhood um, and kind of uh, linking in. We kind of regularly have catch-up sessions with them about what campaigns they're running, what can we do to promote what they're doing, what can they do to promote what we're doing. Um, we were really lucky just before Christmas, uh, November time, um, the Prince and Princess of Wales visited a church in Swansea where our Baby Basic Centre runs and again met them. Um, that made it onto the King's Speech in December. I sat watched it going, oh my goodness, that's my brand up there. Um, a complete surprise. And all of that has just lifted um, our reputation and that's just been amazing. So we've had those 19 brands. Of those 19 brands, we still have 15 who support Baby Basics. And more and more brands have come in. So as they see um, what other brands are doing, they, they want to jump on board. And, and that's just brilliant. It's amazing listening to you talk about how many people are involved in the running of Baby Basics. There's the odd amazing influencer figure coming in, like the Princess of Wales. There are brands and businesses, the spaces that you're operating out of. There are the volunteers making things happen on the ground, the operations team all these stakeholders coming together and many more that I'm sure you haven't mentioned to create the impact that you're having for your beneficiaries. Now I want to dive into some of that impact and get into some of the stories of the change that you're making, those stories that motivate you, that you can share back with your supporters. Yeah, I mean, I could tell you endless stories. One that's been kind of passed down the history of Baby Basics is is one of the reasons why Baby Basics started. And that was a woman who um was um in the postnatal ward so she'd given birth to her baby and um she didn't have any maternity pads and so she stole one from the patient next door to her and got caught by one of the nurses and absolutely berated in front of everybody for that and it was a midwife who told baby basics this story or told the founder of the story um, and that's one of the reasons we were set up is like we never want somebody to be in that position that they we never want a mum to be in that position that they haven't got what they need to go into hospital to have their baby. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that's that would be one more recently. Um, just this week, um, a family who have got a newborn baby, a two year old, a six year old um, single mum and mum was sharing a bed with all th- three children. And so health visitor came and picked up a Moses basket from her. So newborn had somewhere to sleep. And we said, is the two-year-old on a waiting list for a toddler bed from us or a cot bed from us? And she's like, well, there's nowhere for the mum to put another bed. Um, and those kind of situations break our hearts because we could provide a bed for that two-year-old, <laughs> but there's no space in the accommodation that they're living in. So how is that mum with a newborn having a good night's sleep when she's sharing a bed with a six-year-old or two-year-old and a newborn waking up in the night? How is that six-year-old managing to do a school day when they're sharing a bed with a two-year-old and a mom and have got a newborn screaming half the night? 
Um, and those situations kind of really break your heart. And they're the situations that always drive me going, what more can we do? Your work is really focused on giving children the best start in life in the early years for the sake of the whole family and supporting them to come out of poverty. Do you ever feel frustrated by the fact that what you do should be a statutory service? And it's really interesting because it's a really, really complex issue and lots and lots of things come come up with it. And I think one of the key things that actually came up yesterday when I had a, a visit to our Sheffield Centre from um, the one of the policymakers for the more mayoral office that's involved in this project and he came to kind of find out a little bit more about what we do at baby basics and we were talking about the fact that we're not funded um by any statutory service we get no funding from the nhs we get no funding from local councils um and his response to that was but you're a statutory service and that really resonated with me that i think so often the third sector fill the gaps for the statutory services um, and we all know everyone's in a really difficult position at the moment. Um, so many local authorities are working in deficit budgets, etc., etc. But actually to be recognised for that, because I think often in the third sector you are recognised by the frontline workers that you see on a daily basis, but you're not necessarily recognised by the strategic people. And it's where that strategic um, recognition is so important and can really start to change things and not just change things for the city or the town or the community that you're working with but can have influence and change things at a higher political level and i think that's the opportunity that as third sector we are unique in being able to make that difference and we come at it from a different perspective one of the values that I always hold on to with Baby Basics um, and we, we shout about a lot with our centres is every single one of our centres is run by, for and with the community because that's mm. what's important. You are meeting the community where they are at, not where a government tells us we should be. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The community is at the heart and centre, absolutely. And um, just... Before we wrap, which we should, although I'd love to keep talking, um, we always try and get an action at the end of the conversation because it's all in the name, Action Funder. We like to be practical and be able to take real tangible action on the challenges that we face in our communities. Um, and with your experience in creating partnerships, We've spoken a bit about that in your experience of creating partnerships across the third sector and the private sector. I'd love to hear your tips for actions that people can take to make those kinds of partnerships productive. Actions for that. I think the first action would be try it. Don't be scared of just sending that email. I always laugh. Oh, we have a wonderful patron who is the Reverend Kate Botley off of Gogglebox and Songs of Praise. <laughs> and I can remember... Um, watching a program that she was on one Sunday evening and just thinking oh my goodness she'd make a really good patron so I just tweeted her and said how do I get to ask you to be a patron and she was like email my agent so the Monday morning I emailed her agent by four o'clock she was confirmed as our patron and Brilliant. that was like just take that leap and yes mm -hmm. it might work out and it might not but you've taken the leap and tried. So that would be my first bit of advice is just, just go for it. Find those right organisations to work with or a corporate that you think that brand really fits with what we do or an influencer that could really kind of resonate. You think mm -hmm. your organisation could resonate with them. 
just give it a try. Tweet them. Find mm-hmm. them on social media. Find out who their agent is and just just try it. You never know what's going to happen. That would be my first point. And my second point would be it is an investment. It's an investment in time. It's an investment in energy. It's an investment in relationship. And as I said before, when you've got that relationship, it's really powerful. And you can go to them um, and they can come to you and um, you have the ability to say no much more easily. But investment in that relationship is really, really, really key. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that investment in relationship is communication. So never, I've always said, we probably don't communicate enough um, with with our corporates. Um, I always think there should be more that we should be doing. But they always say, it's just, just hearing from you is great, just regularly kind of mm-hmm. getting updates, impacts, stats, follow them on social media, they follow you on social media, get stuff out into the public domain, because um, communication just just helps everybody know what you're doing and why. So top tip one for action is to act. That's a good one, I like that. And top tip two is to talk. Uh, just be a human, human to human, make things happen. I love that. And that that's the way to build community and, and to act in community. Um, Thank you so much, Kat. It's been really fabulous to hear more about Baby Basics and your journey. So um, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Breaking the Mould. Be sure to join us for the next, which will feature Mary Child, Sustainability Manager at Nespresso. Mary covers what it's like for a corporate to become a B Corp and why connecting with hyper-local communities is such an important part of Nespresso's ESG agenda. For more content on how leaders from the private and charity sectors are creating change today, go to our website at www.actionfunder.org.